This episode of The Zealous Podcast is sponsored by Perform Better. Perform Better is the leader in functional training by supplying innovative products and top-notch education to trainers, coaches, and therapists. Check out the brand new Perform Better app designed for professionals who want to stay on top of their game. This free app features education from the world's best. You'll learn from industry leaders including Mike Boyle, Gray Cook, Sue Falzoni, Charlie Weincroft, and many more. Topics range from strength and conditioning, program design, nutrition, business, and marketing. Just go to performbetter.com. Welcome back for yet another episode of the Zealous Podcast. I'm Rocky Snyder, and you know, I have just a treat this week. I've got one of my longest time friends, and uh, I'll say colleagues in some way, but he's not in the fitness industry, he's in the sports industry, and he's one of those guys truly behind the scenes making things work. But we went to high school together, we went through college together, and he took the straight and narrow while I explored the, the bad roads of life. And so it just so turns out that we, we are able to reconnect here. So Joe Fitzgerald, he is the vice president of special events for National Hockey League, the NHL. But his road to getting there is something you really wanna hear about. Joe, welcome to Zealous. Nice, Rocky. It's great to be here. It's great to see you and and catch up. And, you know, it's been way too long since we've actually had to spend time together and hang out like the old times, but it's great truly, to be here. Truly, truly. I know we had a high school reunion coming up the last year. And of course, COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench into that. And of course, this year, but someday soon. And we almost, I tell you, yeah. we almost connected because just the other weekend, I was up snowboarding in Tahoe, and lo and behold, who should be up there getting the Winter Classic going? But you were right there. We were only miles apart. But I know uh, I can only imagine what you were going through to get that weekend set up. So uh, we'll we'll just have to we'll have to do it. When yeah, I apologize that you know that was that was something we had to be sequestered in a way, you know, to keep every we were tested every day because of this COVID and trying to keep our players and faculty safe so we can pull off an event like that, you know. Crazy, crazy. crazy. All right. So viewing audience, Joe and I, we grew up in Reading, Massachusetts, where two of the main thoroughfares outside of Boston intersect, maybe about a 20 minute drive into the city, one of those little suburbs. And he and I were captains on the gymnastics team way back in high school. And, and then we went to UMass Amherst together. And then you, you just, you knew what you were doing. I was just I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. So I just procrastinated by going to the gym and working out. And who would think that it actually turned into a career? But you, meanwhile, was it sports management? What did you major in at UMass? Well, I, believe it or not, I started out computer science. And that was my interest. And wow. then I did it through my freshman year. And then halfway through my sophomore year, I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. And I never heard about the sport management major before I got to college. I'm like, you know what? That sounds really cool. I could work in something that I love sports and it I switched to that after doing a little bit of research and and I was like wow this is really cool so you know what I wanted to do is really take the professional sports avenue I mean sports management there's tons of things you could do you know like exactly what you're doing run your own own gym and or health club or get in a minor league or professional sports or or be a college ad 
Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I wished at that time, well, we all work out to where we are today because of whatever, but imagine if I had found out at that time you were doing that, who knows? Uh, maybe I'm, I'd still be here because like you say, sports management is, is, is right up my alley here, but you, on the other hand, you get into sports management and then you end up with an internship with the Red Sox. Is that, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. It's so, you know, how did that happen to me? I mean, well, I, I, I actually, as you know, I, I started out five years because I fractured my neck in high school my senior year. Didn't know if I was going to be able to make the team my freshman year because I literally got my brace off the day before college practice started. And, you know, as a freshman, it's hard to make the team, right? You know, you've everyone's working out all summer long. Here I am coming off an injury and all my muscles atrophied and, you know, I was completely out of shape. And I was a pummeler specialist. And, you know, there's only 12 guys that make the team and they already had a pummeler specialist. So my likelihood of making the team was slim and none, I thought. So um, I went decided to go five years right away. And I was able to take one less class a semester, um, but able to concentrate more on my four classes and spend more time getting back in shape and and doing what I love doing and swinging pommels. So I actually ended up getting back in shape quicker than I, I, I you know, than I thought I was going to. And luckily, our team was not that great in pommel horse when I actually made the team my first four years. So my fifth year. I was like, oh, I'm done with gymnastics. My eligibility is done. Uh, it's time to start thinking about a career. And I knew I want to go pro sports and um, I wanted to do an internship. So I wanted to do an internship my last semester in college. And my thought process there was if something came up, I was immediately available. I didn't have to go back to school and wait around. And then I get done school and that job's no longer available. So that insightful thinking actually helped me out. So I, um, I used that fall semester of my fifth year to do an independent study. I made a, and researched a, um, a media guide slash program for the men's and women's gymnastics team, researched career stats. Um, and it became like a recruiting tool too that the coaches could use to hand out. So I yep. sold advertising help pay for the printing. Um, and that was actually a benefit to me too because I could take that program, a guide that I did and bring it on interviews for my internships and say, this is what I've done. And I had something, real life experience that I could give to the Red Sox or the Celtics, who I also applied and got accepted for an, an internship there. You, I, I didn't the, hear about that. You got accepted to the Celtics? Yeah, I applied for three internships, Rebark Marketing, the Celtics and the Red Sox. Got accepted to the Celtics first and told them I wanted to wait a couple weeks because I also had some irons in the fire at the Red Sox. Okay, so- the Celtics down. Just to put this in perspective, we're talking, this is 1990, right? Correct. And Larry Bird is still on the team. <laughs> I guess he was, right? Yeah, he retired in 92 and went to Indiana. But so, I, okay, just so for those that aren't Boston sports fans, the, the Celtics, world champions, lead the now that Lakers tied their number of championships, whatever, we won't talk about that. But 1981, 1984, 1986, world champion, NBA champion, Celtics, looking to get another world champion, um, Reggie Lewis, of course, on the team 1990 with Larry Bird. It looks like things are going to happen. Meanwhile, the Red Sox, are you kidding me? You know, we were at UMass when, when the whole tragedy of game six against the New York Mets occurred. And, and of course you were living down when, when the riots broke out in that dorm and made national news. But anyway, 
what the heck are you thinking? Not taking the Celtics. That's what I want to know. It's like, okay, do I do I go yeah, with it's tough? I went down or the exciting champions. Yeah, I, I actually went to my sport management head um, of the department, Dr. Glenn Wong, and I'm like, hey, I I got offered two internships, one for the Celtics and one for the Red Sox, and I'm kind of torn. What should I do? And he was, oh, why you got both? And he was like amazed, and he goes. He was a big basketball fan and he thought the Celtics were a better run organization at the time. And he chose, I would go with the Celtics, but I got lucky where I was able to go to a basketball game, watch what the interns did and figure out their roles and responsibilities. And I was one of three interns for the Celtics or the only intern for the Red Sox and me, a lifelong baseball fan. If you looked at my bedroom, you know, when I was a little kid, it was plastered with Red Sox. For I, me, the voice was obvious. I'm a baseball fan, know a lot more about baseball. But the fact, too, that I was the only intern um, thought that I might have had a better opportunity to, sh- you know, help shine a light on myself, if you will. Totally makes sense now. Okay, yeah. I get it. I get it. And All so right. The funny thing so- was... <laughs> get the internship with the Red Sox and of course the opportunity shines and they say Joe we want to hire you so now you're working for the Red Sox your boyhood dream team all that what are you doing with the Red Sox so I was in PR as a PR assistant and I didn't think I was actually going to see a baseball game that year because my internship was January to June and they started out the season in a lockout with a labor dispute oh and so I was like, you're kidding me. I go, how long is this going to last? I'm hit my internship ends in June. Season starts in April. How long is this going to go for? Am I going to get to see a baseball game? But luckily they got through that and um, I was there. And um, the computer science background actually helped me out. I'm probably dating the Red Sox more than I'm dating ourselves, but the Red Sox kind of just got computerized. <laughs> and, and, they, you know, were behind the times on just simple things, creating spreadsheets and using databases and, and whatnot. Um, so they were also at the, in the process of converting their media guide over desktop publishing. There was a project that was going to take all summer long that they were working on. So my internship ended and they saw that I was pretty adept at computers and they asked me to stay on and help with that project. And then, so I did. Um, and then... Uh, also, during the summer, the United States Baseball Federation came calling, who um, Dick Burquist, who is the, uh, one of the baseball coaches for UMass, uh, he had a good relationship with Howie Davis, the AD for UMass at the time, or, or, or not the AD, the, um, what do you call it, sports information director. Uh, he had a good relationship with the Red Sox as well, and helped get my foot in the door there, too. Nice. So they came to Dick Prashani, my boss at the Red Sox, and said, hey, there's an opportunity for the junior national team. We need a publicist. Do you think Joe would be available for a month to go work the World Junior Championships? It was down in Havana, Cuba. So you went to Cuba? Yeah, I took a month off from the Red Sox and prepared a media guide for that team. Um, Some of the players, probably the most famous one from that team was uh, Sean Green, who played for the Toronto Blue Jays for a number of years. Another one was Scott Spezio, who played for the Oakland Athletics. Um, you know, but there were some talented players on that team. Um, wow. Some that never actually made, made the majors, I thought were, had some unbelievable talent. But so I went down to Cuba for, you know, the tournament for three weeks and, 
it was pretty nuts. And I came back for the Red Sox, the Red Sox from the playoffs. And I met people from the league office when they came in to run the playoffs that year. Whoa. Okay. So, now we're just going to fast forward a little bit to, to, I'm going to call it a day of infamy because uh, of course, 2004, 86 years go by and the Red Sox are in the world series after being down three games to one against the red, against the Yankees. They come from behind three in a row. They're going against the St. Louis Cardinals and, and they they sweep the Cardinals in four games. Can't believe it. And you've got all your friends at fan Fenway, your brother's a cop. He's down in the field of security, all the other guys that were on the team with us in high school. And I'm out in California. Yeah. That's all I got to say. I got to, I'm like, you guys were there. You were in Fenway enjoying history and I'm watching and I got to tell you, it's, we're about to win. We're like ninth inning and it's sealing it up and there's a knock on my door and it's my, it's, it's my dumbass neighbor across the street who had done something to his water main and he needs my help shutting off his water. I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now, like right now. So I just want to tell you, that's what I was going through in the ninth inning in 2004, while you're just getting ready to pop the champagne bottle, I was shutting water mains off of my neighbor's house. I got back in time to see it, but what was that like? That was an unreal experience. So um, at that time I was in the events department um, at baseball and one of the things that, well, we obviously we took care of the pregame ceremonies and uh, I was involved with transportation for all the VIPs. Um, but one of the things that we were responsible for was the championship presentation and the MVP trophy and the World Series trophy. Here I am, I was kind of the garter of the World Series trophy. Nervous oh could be like by myself, just <laughs> on TV in a, like a club underneath the Cardinal stadium, freaking out, you know, like, I can't believe, is this really going to happen? Like, am I a jinx? I'm, I'm like, I'm holding the trophy and, you know, no one wants to see the trophy. You kind of have to be off on the, you know, hidden because, you know, the, the superstitions around it. Oh. Here it is, the Red Sox win. And I'm like, all right, keep it professional, keep it professional. And meanwhile, you're inside, you're like, I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> You, you know, the players out there celebrating, you had time to go in and kind of like make sure the locker room was set up with all the plastic when they popped the champagne. And here we are, me and my boss, Brian, we're bringing in the trophy and uh, the MVP trophy. And I'm just like, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, oh it, it, it was crazy. Now, I, I, I didn't bring in the point that you worked for the Red Sox for quite a while, but then you moved to basically Major League Baseball office. And now you're working for Major League Baseball when that occurred in 2004. Uh, Correct. So unbelievable that must have been like obviously you probably took a whole bunch of pictures of you and the trophy little selfies here and there yeah that time i think at the time selfies weren't that prevalent um <laughs> but yeah we had a couple photos here and there you know oh my gosh that must yeah. have been unbelievable yeah really? it, was, it was pretty cool okay so then you work for Major League Baseball. You're you're doing. I, I think I recall you doing the diamond collection, as they call it. Like you've got to authorize whatever anybody wears out on the field. They come to you, and you have to give a thumbs up or thumbs down kind of thing. That was one of so, your roles. Yeah. So uh, when I actually started, it was the computers that got me my job. I actually started out in the IT department as a database analyst, overseeing the play-by-play -play system that generates all the statistics. 
wow. that the PR directors would download every day to create all of their their you know their notes and all that. Um, and if they had issues scoring a game, I'd they'd call my beeper. I would call the number on the beeper and you know, hey, it's John Blake from the Texas Rangers. How do you score this play? Um, and you know, I'd help them through it or troubleshoot some issues at night that, you know, some of the other guys couldn't figure out. And I became an expert in this system, did that for two years, but I really want to get back to a club level. So then I took a job in the American league office as an assistant PR. Um, and that was a stepping stone to be like a number two club person did that for two or three years. But then I went like, wait a minute. I go, I wasn't a great writer at the time. I've learned how to write since then, but this is a pretty good job. I go, I'm working nine to five of my weekends off. I get to go to a lot of sexy events like the all-star game, the world series, the playoffs. And if I want to start a family, maybe this is a good place to be, you know, versus going to work for a club and you're working nonstop, you know, 10 straight days in a row through the weekends and all that stuff. Um, so I was like, you know what, this is a pretty good trade-off. Uh, I switched to licensing is what you mentioned. So I was manager in licensing and my role then was, I was the main contact between our 30 clubs, um, our uniform suppliers and equipment suppliers. And it was called the authentic collection at the time. Um, anything branded, you know, with uniforms or anything that was worn on field or used by the players was an authentic collection. It was our premium items. Um, so I managed uh, in those accounts and troubleshot issues and dealt with uniform changes. Um, and one of the other things too, is I came up with uniform guidelines that they never had before. I was uh -huh. one of the main people that came up with uniform guidelines and I go around chase players wearing Nike swishes and shut up in fear, no play on the neck, you know, um, gotcha. you know, I became a low known as logo cop, you know, <laughs> uh, you five Oh, they would call me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then you, then I recall you doing something with the rookies too. Were you, were you in charge of like uh, orientation? So, of sorts? Yeah, we had a rookie career orientation program that was done in association with the players, the players association. It was a joint venture program and it was a two, three day seminar. Basically um, the, each team would send three or four of their top players that they think are going to be the next superstars. Um, and they would come in for a three, four day seminar. And it was a, three days of sitting there and giving them classes on, hey, you're about to take the next step in life. You're gonna come in all this money. How do you manage it? Um, you know, we had psychologists come in that they go in, in in private and meet with and talk about their fears and their concerns. And we had players come in, resource players that would come in and, and give them their life experiences, how to deal with PR, how to deal with interviews um, and just, you know, security issues that you're gonna come up with. You know, yeah. as a player, you know, it's just life is about to change. And, you know, it's funny because I took a lot of life lessons from that to myself. It was it was really neat, neat class. And that's something that we actually um, Don Fear, who was head of Players Association at the time. Uh, we actually left baseball, I think, at this within the same month. And he went to hockey, became the director of the Players Association for hockey. I came to hockey and hockey had a. Um, a rookie orientation program uh, as well, but it wasn't anything like what baseball had. It was like two hours prior to draft that they oh. would orientation that the players association would give to the things. So I think Don Fear came in and he was like, Hey, 
baseball had a program that was a little bit more comprehensive, a little bit better. So I gave them my notes on the program to our player communications department. Um, and they got together the players association and we came up with what now is our program, which is similar to uh, what baseball had. And, you know, two, three seminar teaching them about all sorts of different things. And especially now social media and how to behave and what to post, what not to post. Um, right so, now, so this is great kind of segue into the NHL. I mean, you've got the NHL logo on the door there. So we've, we've got to spend some time talking about like up-to-date stuff. What, what was it that inspired you to change from Major League Baseball over to the NHL? Um, well, so I did the licensing thing for five years of baseball. Then I switched to events. And I, in the last 10 years of baseball, I was there for 20 years. Um, I became like the event operations guru um, at baseball, working on all the all-star game, which is a big one. There were so many different roles and responsibilities that I had there. Um, and then World Baseball Classics came up and working on those and, and postseason and running the winter meetings and the GM meetings. And then I was like, you know, this is pretty good, but my boss wasn't going anywhere at the time. He was the same age as me. And I was like, you know what? Um, NHL came calling. Basically what happened is they had their third winter classic. Um, the third one being at Fenway park. Yeah. And they realized, you know what, we have something special here. We want to grow this and we want to have a couple games a year, but the NHL, I guess um, they needed more experienced people that were really good doing event operations. So they came a calling and kind of stole me away from baseball. Right on. So it was a good opportunity for me, something that really interests me. I'd grown up outside, you know, Boston, Rocky, you know, hockey was prevalent where we Dude, grew up. Hockey, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, I spent how many times over Lake Corner Power skating around or in the okay. backyard in the swamps, you know. Exactly. So I was always interested in hockey. I never really played it other than swamp hockey. <laughs> but yeah. um, so I took a shot at it and, you know, came over and never regretted it for a second. Wow, that's great. And, and I love the Winter Classics. I mean, I remember that game in Fenway, but, you know, we just had it here in Lake Tahoe at the Edgewood Country Club on the 18th hole, right up against the shore of Lake Tahoe. If you, if you missed it, man, go to YouTube or something and check out the games. We had, uh, it was Saturday was the Colorado Avalanche. Who, who did they go against? They went against the Las Vegas uh, Knights. Now the Golden Knights, Vegas yep. Golden Knights. All right. And then we had the Bees, uh, Bruins. That was on Sunday, and and they went against um, Flyers, the Flyers, Philadelphia Flyers. Two days in Tahoe. Of course, you didn't get to see a darn thing because you got your nose in every every business imaginable. I, I know you had like a sixteen hour day on, on Sunday, and just trying to coordinate the teams getting there and back. I mean, the closest airport I think is Reno, so which is no shining star. But uh, anyway, it's it, it you had to do a significant amount of logistics do you do you enjoy it do you enjoy what you're doing i do i always say that you know we work really hard um on these events and i i like the challenge i say if it's not a challenge it's not any fun because if it was easy it would be i would have a job <laughs> really yeah. i mean we you know, talked. We talked before the show, and you were saying yeah, you had thirty days. They came up with the idea and sent some guys out to scout it out in November, and then you know within thirty days you were given word this is going to happen. So normally you're given so much more time, like the better part of a year, to plan this out, and you had to do it in a matter of weeks rather than a matter of months. So I mean, first 
you did a fantastic job because it was a, it, what a success. What a it was pretty memorable. I mean, the site oh. that it, it was just, it was nuts. I thought it was incredible. I know drive when I got there, driving from Reno to Lake Tahoe, I was just amazed. I was taking my phone out trying to video when I was driving. Yeah. I, the sites just blew my mind, you know? Yeah. Um, it's and a then, country. you know, getting there and seeing everything set up, but we have a great, great team. I, 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 I I think our team is one of the best in the business at what they do. And our production team, Band Productions, they're out of Toronto. They've been with us from the start. This is a, the 32nd game, outdoor game that we did, regular wow. season game. Um, so we, they pretty much have building the rink down to a science. Now, the difference but, is just where it is. Yeah, the, the real challenge I see it, like of your career so far has been this last year. I, I watched a video interview of you all talking about the bubble and and the playoffs and what had to go there. So I I want to I want to talk about that because you, you talk about logistics and coming up with this. I I've, I had some some previous guests that were with the NBA bubble, like Ed Strite with the the Lakers, one of the strength coaches there, uh, and what they had to go through with the NBA Finals championship this past year with COVID. What was it like for the NHL? Because you had a couple of different cities. I think it was, was it Toronto and Vancouver? Correct. No, okay. Toronto and Edmonton. Vancouver was one of the cities. Okay. So, so where were you during this whole bubble? So I was in Toronto. I was in charge of arena operations for the Toronto bubble. We had two separate teams, one going to Edmonton to take care of the West and Toronto was the East. But, you know, leading up to it, we were like, we knew something, we, we knew we had to get our playoffs going. We knew that, you know, some way, shape or form, we were gonna come back and play playoff hockey uh, to finish out our season. We were determined to do that. And so we started our events team. The first thing is we started to look around at all these D1 schools that had great programs um, in the remote, like North Dakota or Notre Dame. You know, they had great facilities, but we're a remote part of the country where COVID wasn't prevalent at the time. Gotcha. The issues we ran into were, well, you really don't have five-star hotels for the players, not enough hotels to house, you know, 10 to 12 teams. And then the other issues we had is the whole broadcasting element and all of the infrastructure we have for hockey with all of our, our, our timing, our scoring, our, our, our um, video replay. So we would have spent a lot of money to build up that infrastructure in, the, in those arenas just to have it. Um, so a lot of thought and process went together Then COVID went to shit and it got worse. And then we started, well, why are we going to spend all this money um, building up, you know, an infrastructure when we already have it built? So well, let's start taking a look at what cities um, would make sense for us to go to that are own buildings. And so we started taking a look at around and, and, got a whole bunch of people that knew about the buildings, you know, um, that we've done events there, we've done playoffs there. Um, you know, do they have an extra sheet of ice for practice that would, it would have been helpful or how close is their practice facility? You know, what are the hotels like? Are the hotels willing to shut down exclusively for us? Uh, luckily, it wasn't much business. No one's traveling. So I think the hotels looked at it as a boom in business. But a lot of hotels had to kind of rehire staff and reopen because they were shut down. Right. You know? It so was you crazy. took over the entire hotel with the teams and the staffing. Correct. Yeah, in Toronto, we took over two hotels. Um, one that was 
um, about two blocks from the arena. Yeah, how cool is Toronto, by the way, that the arena is right there. Like the CN Tower is, is not far away. Like everything's within, I won't say walking distance because it's a big city, but at the same time, you're like right there and you've got hotels and conference centers right at, at the rink too. So I couldn't imagine a better place. Yeah, it was uh, it worked out really well. The, the good thing is we uh, we had a working model in a way because we did our um, our World Cup of Hockey there a few years ago, and so we were pretty 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 familiar with practice facilities, the hotels in the market. Um, so um, when the hotels were so close, we actually were still needing to transport by buses. We couldn't figure out. It took us a couple of days until we got there. Um, a walking path from that hotel the, being so close and then you have to bus just made no sense right wow. the amount of people that we had to be there would have had a bus leave every five minutes to get all the staff and everyone there to the player the players to and from the arena so there was if you walked across the street there was stairs that went down towards um the train tracks yep it was like underground walkway and we were able to take that over then once we got to a public right of way we split that with bike fence and we had our own corridor uh, public on one side and then at one point um it went doors downstairs to a loading dock and we walked underground um through a couple of different loading docks to get to the arena and that was our private walkway from wow. that one hotel to the arena so we had to spend some money with oh yeah we had to spend some money with security and fencing and and a little bit of a road closure there. Um, and then the other hotel was Hotel X, which was further away, but it was also like a quarter mile from BMO Field where they have the soccer stadium. Mm -hmm. And we actually had the Centennial Classic at BMO Field as well. Hotel X was a little nicer, swankier, had more windows, had a pool. Um, and we put our, um, we separated everyone up by, you know, um, by tiers, if you will, or or you know, the the teams with the highest record got to stay Hotel X, the nicer hotel. Uh -huh. but the good thing we were able to do there too is we again took the road between Hotel X and BMO Field out of commission, shut it down, put up fencing with scrim uh, and security along the way, and players could walk from that hotel, walk a quarter mile to go to BMO Field and enjoy outdoor space, wow. kick the soccer ball around, you know, hang out in the sun, play spike ball. And then enjoy a couple of restaurants or barbecues that we had set up over there too. So it was a really good experience in that way. We were confined to a bubble, but you weren't limited to direct walls of the hotel or the arena. That Toronto was a, obviously Toronto. Most Canadian cities are huge hockey towns, right? And and Toronto is right. no exception. Granted, they've got uh, they've got baseball and, and basketball and, and Canadian league football, but uh, but when it comes to hockey, you've got some diehard fans. What was it like with the fan interaction with these corridors? Did you have any trouble with that? Well, the, initially we were worried about that for sure because I don't know if you're how familiar you are with um with the arena, but they have what's called Raptors Alley, if you will, yeah. or or, and they broadcast outside the arena. Yeah, no, the championship in hockey or or or, um, or basketball out there, fans just swarm to the arena. And I'm like, oh my god, we have 12 NHL teams in the arena, and so security was a concern. Like, we we don't know what's going to show up. We're in the news saying it, everything's closed. It's a bubble. You can't get near the players. There's no autographs. And surprisingly, no one came down. 
wow. which was great. I mean, the, the way we'd set it up, they weren't going to see the players anyway. Um, we had one or two people trying to jump fences, you know, um, and on occasion, but it ended up being nothing. So wow. it was okay, really so surprising. As the playoffs started to, the teams got eliminated and we got really quite close to the Stanley Cup. Uh, that meant that the locations were starting to condense too. Um, leading up to the Stanley Cup, what, what was that like? So as we went through the learning process here, um, getting things set up, again, doing it in 30 days to 40 days, one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Even, you know, all the meetings and site surveys they would have spread out through a year were daily, nonstop, you know, seven in the morning to eight, nine o'clock at night, nonstop Zoom calls. Meanwhile, your email's building up, building up. Everyone's wanting answers and questions. You're up. You know, those get those get done. You grab a quick bite to eat, and you're back on emails to God knows what time of the hour to try to get things done. And then when we got there, we had to fly in. We had to, um, we had to fly in a private planes. We couldn't take commercial flights where the restrictions were crossing the border. Wow. So we, and the Deputy Commissioner Bill Daly was nonstop talking to the Canadian provinces and and trying to figure out how we can get this done. And they had to understand our health protocols and what we were doing and. We had to get tested three times and three negative tests before we traveled within, uh, you know, a period of, uh, of a week and then flew in commercial, flew in privately and went right to our hotel. We couldn't stop anywhere. You couldn't stop at a grocery store uh, or liquor store or anything. You had to go right to the hotel and they approved those guidelines. And then we went there meeting, setting things up, but you're executing while you're still planning. So as things were setting up, we had to readjust a few things and, and still keep the ball rolling. And then the teams flew in, and once everyone kind of got the lay of the land after two weeks, it was like it was kind of like Groundhog Day. Everyone knew the process, the procedures, and everything was flowing along. And there was really not a ton to do but watch hockey. There was some basic troubleshooting things on a daily basis, but it did get easier once things were set up because it was on autopilot, if you will. Right. There's no fans, very limited media media were kept on a different um, level of the arena that we couldn't interact with because they were kind of outside the zone. They weren't getting tested and we couldn't come in contact with them. Um, OK, but. so brilliant success. Another one. Right. You just uh, talk about things just flying at you and you're going to have to kind of just dance with it and and you've got a very limited uh, uh dance card to do that with in terms of time frame so that's remarkable what about this coming year you know i was i was kicking back with uh with a buddy of mine who played in for the sharks and, and a bunch of other uh other teams over a thousand games in the nhl scott hannon and, and now he's doing some commentating for for some sharks games now but we we're talking about how it was kind of nice to have these these two, three game series of teams going, just like baseball has done right. for years. You know, the, the Sox would go down and play the Rangers in Texas for a two or three game series. And then while they're there, they're going to go over to this town and that town and so on. But you're not bouncing the players all over the country or all over the West or East. And what's that going to look like this year? Are, are you, you, I know you're not part of that. You're more special events, but any word coming down the pipe as to what we might expect this coming NHL? Well, you bring up a good point. Like, honestly, 
I think we're still waiting to see how things develop, see how the vaccine gets rolled out. As you know, certain states are starting to open up their arenas to fans, not all of them. Yeah. Um, I know our owners and the players want to see fans back in the buildings, and we do too. I mean, gosh, it, it, everyone's missing that aspect of, of, of the game. It brings excitement. And you know, we, we still don't know what that's going to look like. Obviously, you, we had great success with the bubble last year, but I know that nobody really wants that. Right. Um, the players certainly don't want to be weary from their families that long. Um, we want to see fans in the buildings, get that excitement of the home team rivalries going. Um, so, you, but I think the goal probably would be to do a Stanley Cup final the way we had done it in each team's home arena. But who knows with the way COVID are and restricted travel, like we usually go 2 2 1 1 1, where baseball goes 3 4 3. Is maybe who knows? Maybe there's a hybrid and we go 3 4 3 to limit the travel and, and exposure. Um, you know. Yeah. Or, or two, three, two, sorry, not three, three, four, three. I got you. Yeah. yeah but, so we, we don't know. We have to, it's every, every month things change. Right. And yeah. we listen to our owners and um, want them to have their arenas open with the fans again. Now, do you have another winter classic coming up? I can't imagine. No, we, this year we don't, we, yeah. the winter classic, um, and our stadium series were canceled. The all-star game was canceled. Uh, We're not going to do those events without fans, but that's why we came up with the idea of let's do a TV event for Lake Tahoe. You know, it was made for TV, no spectators whatsoever. Uh, Without a stadium, we we had two portable rinks. We can take them anywhere. So who knows? That could open up things for future. We had great success, great TV ratings coming out of that. How did the players like playing without a a crowd, but on the shores of Lake Tahoe. They, when they got there, they were amazed. They, they a lot of people were like, you know, this reminds me of, uh, you know, Mystery Alaska. And, oh, yeah. you know, uh, it's just, you know, that's what people, you know, like I said, growing up playing in Lake Corner Power or Swamp Hockey, you're playing, that's what most everyone remembers about playing hockey when you were a kid is you lived in a colder climate, you played outdoors. That's what you remembered. That's what the Winter Classic and Stadium Series really does is it brings back those elements of playing outdoors and having a snowfall, you know, um, or being sunny out, which caused us lots of problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you had a little ice melt like the day before or so, because it was warming up in time. Oh, we had a nine hour delay because of the sun on Saturday. You oh. probably got sunburnt when you were skiing in the mountains. And Dude, it we was such a great out. day. <laughs> Honestly, we had, because it had, it had dumped um about a foot and a half on that friday right i don't know if what when did you come in you probably were in in super bowl sunday the seventh and just a week prior got three to four feet of snow yeah that was an epic day away how much there wasn't much snow left when i got there the sun is so strong out there it just melted but up in the mountains it stays oh yeah we can drive to winter here that's the best thing about where we live like I'm living on the beach in, in Santa Cruz, but in three and a half hours, I could be on the snow. So, you know, yeah, I don't want to boast, but that's the nice thing about here. Sure. We can drive into a different season. And I tell you that Friday, that Saturday you were setting up, I was up snowboarding with the kids and it was just all time powder. 
So I can only imagine, you know, with the sun beating down, we only had like sweatshirts on and we were up in the snow. Yeah, so when I woke up that morning, knowing the forecast, we get daily forecasts sent to us that are specialized for the region because everything can, we've had so many different issues with the outdoor ice because weather plays a huge factor in that. Yeah. Uh, rain and the sun being the most problematic. Um, knowing how strong the sun was and looking at full sunny skies for Saturday and Sunday like Saturday was supposed to be overcast. I woke up in the morning and I said, if I'm a betting man, this game is going to get moved till the afternoon, but we started it at noon on time. But then we re realizing how quickly the ice was deteriorating with the players skating and the sun really tracking to the lines and logos to the darker spots and just melting it like crazy. It became unsafe for the players. And wow. You know, the ice was going to blow out and it, it just was crappy ice and and our ice crew unfortunately there's like there's no way we could play we're going to need five hours to rebuild this once the sun's off it so what i thought would have been like a 4 35 o'clock restart turning into a 9 p.m restart and reminding my days of baseball and a rain delay but sure. this time the players just don't go to the clubhouse or the locker room and sit there and play cards they left they went back to the hotel you know they uh, you know, got another meal, got a nap, came back and played the second and third period at night. Wow. And then the next day we knew because the sun was so strong that we moved that game from a noon game to a 4.30 start once the sun was off. And they got to play at sundown, which was pretty cool. It was really cool. It was honestly, it was, it was great to see it all kind of unfold and to get that little inside scoop to know that a good friend was, was a big part of that. So let's, let's just... Um, Let's imagine now, well, right now you must be coming up for a little air. I can't imagine there's a lot of special events you're planning on right now. Is this your downtime? Well, typically it's probably not your downtime, but right now, is it? it right now, yeah, typically we'd be looking at this time of year, all right, it, coming off our, of our outdoor game season, um, it would be a little bit of downtime, refresh the batteries, but then start thinking ahead to playoffs. Yeah. And typically, um, we usually have kind of two teams for playoffs. I usually take care of Stanley Cup Final East, and there's another team that takes care of Stanley Cup Final West. And we'd start traveling around during the first part of the playoffs of teams that are in the hunt, but we maybe we haven't done an event in that building for a long time. And I'll start to go to some games and start to meet with those operations peoples in those markets and um, you know get a feel for the arena. And like if we were to bring a Stanley Cup Final in here, what could we do to the space around here? What areas can we use can we transform um because there's a lot of different people and uh departments that come in that need working space in the arena gotcha so we have a condensed nhl season this year and uh playoffs begin what month are we gonna um players pretty much be begin april may uh, and then they're gonna oh. go you know june and hopefully finish up in july Okay, so it's not pushed out too much then because it's not pushed out like, too, too much, right? Okay, so Stanley Cup usually happens in June. Uh, and and playoffs do begin right around April anyway, right? Right, correct. So Yeah, I've been taking a hard look at the schedule. Like again, it was a little bit of downtime, but that's the next thing is I need to start taking a look at like, you know, where we are, where we're going. And then you also have the expansion draft this year. Well, Seattle Kraken. So oh, that'll happen after the season. What's going on with that? Well, new expansion team, Seattle Kraken's entering the league. And um, so they'll have a draft where 
you know, each team has to protect players and Seattle Kraken gets to go pick and choose a player from each team. Get out of here. They get yeah. to just pluck. Sure. What's up with that? Yeah. It's pretty exciting, you know, but you know, there's, there's teams are allowed to protect X amount of players. I, I don't know the rules. Interesting. All right. When's that going to take place? Um, probably uh, after our season uh, in July, probably the end of July. I got to say, I like the name Kraken, you know, the sea monster in Seattle and all that, but, and, and don't hate me brother, but I've, I've switched allegiances. I love the bees. I love the Bruins, but for 30 years of, of being here and uh, I, I'm a sharks diehard through and through. I love the sharks and there's nothing like a game in the shark tank, especially now that the garden is, has been leveled and you've got TD bank North, which I'm sure is fine, but there's nothing like going to the shark tank and watching a game. And I can't wait for the, the Kraken to come down and, and try and battle the sharks. Cause that would be a, yeah, it'd be a good little rivalry there. A little Northern rivalry. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. So, but I imagine, you know, the, you live in Jersey and the red devils are gone. So are you still a Bruins fan? All right. Well, born and raised brother. Yeah. Come on. I'm dying okay. hard. You know, All right, so look, I'm like, my allegiance working for the league, right? I root for all 30 teams. Right? Of course you do, um, yeah. But, yeah, you have a diehard team here and there, right? You right know, so I always still root Boston Red Sox, Patriots. Hell yeah. It's Bruins. You know, they were born with and raised with them. Funny thing is my son, Colin, who's all he's ever known is Jersey, but those are all his teams because he follows what dad follows. Well, same with my kids. They're born and bred under the sign of the Patriots, and, and that's how it'll be. When it comes yeah. to baseball, they're, they're kind of up in the air. But the funny thing is, when we were growing up, the, the Patriots weren't that great. We I think the they got to the Super Bowl in 85 or something like that. Yeah, against Jim uh, McMahon. Or 86, right? He got destroyed, and, yeah, yeah, January like, 86. They're horrible, and all he's known is championships between the Patriots, the Red Sox, the Celtics, yeah, you know? Good to be the king now i tell you that 20 sure. years of victory and now we've got we've got uh patriots west or nfc patriots as i like to call the tampa bay buccaneers so i'm yeah. totally cool with that uh joe dude this has been so much fun i really appreciate you coming on and, and i'm glad that it was timed where you get your downtime is measured probably in hours from the sounds of it I mean, you might get a couple days but uh playoffs kick up next month because this is airing in mid-March. Yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, basically, yeah, you're, you're got maybe, what, another day or two to enjoy kicking back before you start things going. And, uh, but I got to say, you're, you're an energy junkie, and, and I know you love the buzz. So uh, you're probably feeling right at home when, when a deadline is coming down to the wire. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I love being busy. It's, it, it's what drives us, you know, when you're in the event planning business and in the harder you work, the more exciting things can be. Um, I don't just, my tiny thing is like problem shooting stuff, you know, troubleshooting things, things that are more of a challenge, you know, the different experience you have and how you're going to get to that resolution and, and see all sides that come to it. Uh, it's just kind of rewarding, right? When you can come up with a way to solve a problem that other people couldn't see. All right. Now I'm, I can edit out this next question, but I got to throw it out there. You're vice president of special events for NHL, but there's room for upward mobility because a vice president has a president above. What, what do you say to that? Are you looking for upward mobility or you wanted to try your hand at NBA or are you just happy just living the love and the life that you're doing right now? 
I'm happy where I'm at, brother. I don't have any aspirations of being a commissioner. <laughs> don't have the experience of that either. But uh, to be able to where I to be where I'm at in my career, vice president of one of the four leading pro sports, uh, to me has been a great accomplishment in my career. And I, I'm tickled to death to be where I'm at and have the people that work and support me, um, you know, behind me. So, well, you should be very proud. You've done a great job uh, all through Good the years. Do. Unbelievable, man. Two kids uh, from Reading. Look at the success, huh? Can you? Yeah. <laughs> I tell people I'm the greatest surfer to ever come from Reading, Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs>